0: Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. Develop in a style that allows flexible changes as guidelines evolve because we know that guidelines change over time. Women Who Code Talks Tech is a segment that features experts in a specific field of technology sharing their knowledge on an in-depth and highly technical subject. These talks are designed to both introduce advanced subjects and provide insight into the work being done in these fields. I am Amy June Heinlein, and we're at Accessibility is a Moving Target. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about what is accessibility. Then we'll go into some terms and definitions, including what's on the horizon, and um, I want to Talk a little bit about user agents and assistive technology because not everyone um, understands what that is. And then we'll go into the life cycle of a website designing for accessibility. And then I have some tools to share with folks to help us along the way with our accessibility challenges. Why or how do we embrace accessibility? First, we have to understand what it means. Today, in the context I'm gonna talk about, it's about producing really rich, robust content that can be accessed across all of our digital assets. And then we need to talk about why we design for accessibility. You know, lots of folks, when they talk about stakeholder um, buy-in, they talk about that it's the law, but really we wanna include a wider consumer base or actually just, we wanna include everyone for our content and services. We wanna be as inclusive as possible. And something to remember that not every disability can be seen. There's things like fatigue or dizziness, um, learning differences, mental health disorders, the uh, del- Uh, debilitating pain as well as those hearing and vision impairments that people usually think about when they think about accessibility. And according to the Center for Disease Control, uh, 26% of people living in the U.S. live with a disability. Um, That's one in four or roughly, you know, close to uh, uh, 70 million people. And we. You know, I like to encourage people to remember that as we get older, everyone becomes more disabled with time there. And then also there's temporary disabilities. Um, You know, we go to the doctor, um, we might have LASIK surgery and the screen um, of our computers needs to be dimmed. And we have to make sure that there's, you know, contrast for us to see, you know, to see the information we're looking for. And then there's situational disabilities. Um, Like maybe your mouse is running out of batteries or your smartphone or tablet are in the bright sun. Your house um, is maybe overrun by noisy children due to the shelter in place and you can't find headphones and you really need those captions to to get the most out of the content. And then we have, excuse me, those disabilities that are permanent and remain with people throughout their whole life. Inclusion is not giving special privileges to people. It's making sure that the barriers are removed. And while we're at it, I want to add that the term special privileges or special needs is troublesome in itself because these aren't, um, There's nothing special about them, they're basic human rights. Um, So that's something I'm working on is uh, eliminating, you know, the the word special needs from my vocabulary. I'm just gonna breeze through some of these terms and definitions since I'm um, sure a lot of folks know them already. There's the ADA. This is the uh, American with Disabilities Act. Oh, and I wanna comment to myself mostly that admittedly most of these are United States centric definitions. And I apologize, Um, sometimes we forget to be more inclusive. And this is an example of how I can be more inclusive the next time I give this talk. Um, But the ADA prohibits discrimination and really guarantees that people who have disabilities have the same opportunities as everyone else to participate in mainstream American life. Uh, Section 508 requires federal agencies, and this is again, you know, in the United States, to develop, procure, maintain, and use information and the technology around our communications, making sure that it's accessible to people who live with disabilities. And this is regardless of whether or not they work for the federal government. I do include include a Canadian bill in here, Bill C eighty one. Um, 81C. It's the Accessible Canada Act. And what this does is it ensures a barrier-free Canada to Parliament. And really what uh, 81C does is it aims to benefit all Canadians, especially those who live with disabilities. And there's W3C. That's the World Wide Web Consortium. It's an international community that develops open guidelines to ensure the quality and growth of the web. And just to clarify what open guidelines means is that they take collaboration and they take comments and they make drafts of all of these guidelines ahead of time and seek community uh, collaboration. And one of the guidelines that they work on mostly are the web content accessibility guidelines. And you'll see this abbreviated as uh, WCAG for short. I've heard it pronounced WCAG, WCAG. And the goal for this is to provide kind of that solitary single shared standard for um, digital assets for the accessibility. And it's really meant for our content developers, um, the folks who author uh, our tools, um, and then also people who, um, who develop the evaluation tools. But really it's for anyone who, who wants it or needs a standard for web accessibility. And I have this up on the slide, that accessibility and inclusion and user experience are very different things. They complement each other, but they are different. Uh, there's WCAG 2.0. This is a collection of more than 40 guidelines that improve accessibility for, uh, for those with different abilities. And they're based on four principles called the poor principles, perceivable, operable, understandable, and robust. WCAG is broken down into three levels, the A, the AA, and the AAA. With each increasing A, it means that there's more criteria to follow to make your digital assets compliant. That first level, the A level, is really about minimal compliance. If your assets don't meet at least this level, then it means that it's really, really challenging for people with disabilities to use. At the AA level, this is the acceptable compliance level. It means that your website um, for most people is usable and understandable. And then the optimal compliance level is that AAA level. It means that your website is accessible to as many people as you can possibly make it with or without disabilities. And here comes that usability and dis- and um, accessibility kind of mesh is that, that AAA level really indicates the highest level of usability, again, for folks with or without disabilities. So going back to that um, acronym I introduced a couple slides ago, POR, um, it's four high level principles that really describe accessibility in a functional way. Uh, There's perceivable, which means that the user can identify content and the interface by elements of the senses, Operability means that the user can use the buttons and controls and interactive elements, um, anything uh, really that's interactive. Yeah. And then understandable, you know, we should be able to comprehend the content and learn and remember how to use the interface from page to page or asset to asset. And then finally, robust this is making sure that people can access your information and assets with whatever technology they want. Um, this includes documents, uh, multimedia, you know, video players, and other informational uh, formats. And then I wanna break it down even further, just so it's very, very easy to understand. Um, we wanna make sure that we accommodate visual needs so we make it easy to see. You know, The Center for Disease Control reports that um, 12 million people 40 years and over in the United States live with some sort of vision loss. 1 million people are blind. But remember, again, there's those situational or temporary uh, setbacks like um, cracked cell phones or glare. Um, We want to make sure that our content is easier to interact with. We accommodate motor needs, you know, people who live with palsy from Parkinson's, or maybe they have paraplegia from ALS or an accident. But this also might mean someone, you know, with a situational disability, like a Like a mother holding a baby on a city bus, and she's only got that one hand to navigate her cell phone. And then our auditory needs, you know, making sure that we accommodate um, auditory needs and that things are easy to hear. When we address these needs, we help individuals who are in noisy environments as well as our deaf and hard of hearing friends, you know, and we have. Uh, Folks who might have audio processing issues and can't keep up or maybe English isn't their first language and that those when we have captions and transcripts, it really kind of backs up uh, that content in another way for people to, uh, you know, uh, uh, learn from. And then the last one is, you know, make sure that you accommodate cognitive needs and make make sure that it's easy to understand. This includes people who are distracted, you know. Lots of folks have difficult time focusing these days, as well as folks who live with mental health issues and may have um, limited uh, cognitive functions. We looked at 2.0, but 2.1 is everything that 2.0 had to offer plus 17 new items. You know, they take into uh, account things like line height, um, color contrast of non-text, underlining text, um, and much more. Um, And just to mention that um, WCAG 2.1 is the standard right now. So what's next? What's on the horizon? 2.2 is on the horizon. Um, It was initiated with the goal to continue 2.1, you know, but... Also improving accessibility guidance for more groups. Um, We're including users with cognitive or learning disabilities, uh, more standards around folks with low vision, and then users with disabilities on mobile devices. So 2.2 is everything that 2.1 had to offer, plus nine new items. And I'm not gonna go into the individual guidelines, but i really want to stress that no matter what guidelines are coming it's our responsibility as web designers or web developers or content authors and anyone who cares about digital accessibility to keep track of what's coming next and to know about them and even though these criteria are only in draft and some of them might not make it to the you know to the final form there are things in there that were important enough for someone to list them. So even if they don't get into the guidelines, they were important to someone for a reason. Um, The accessibility guidelines working group recommends that we start adopting 2.2 as our new conformance target, even if our formal obligations, you know, Uh, mentioned previous versions. It's really to provide improved accessibility and to anticipate future policy changes. Okay, there's also 3.0. This presents a new model and a new set of guidelines to make web content and applications accessible and support a wider set of user needs. Um, There's new approaches to testing. um, And 3.0 really allows frequent maintenance of guidelines and related content to keep pace with technology that's constantly changing. And I'll go over some technology um, in a little bit. But the 3.0 supports this evolution by focusing more on users' functional needs and improves the accessibility of products across a variety of platforms. So, 2.2 and 3.0, it really changes, they really change things up. Uh, It's a little bit about the way we think about the guidelines. We're taking into account more disabilities. We're thinking about uh, cognitive disabilities moving forward. And that wasn't something that we really considered before. And then we want to be able to apply more technologies than just the web. These guidelines are opening up space for things like augmented reality, voice assistance, uh, virtual reality. And we want to consider all of the technologies that people are using, including the tools that help our web authors. Um, you know, are our, our back end administrative interfaces accessible? What about our media players and our browsers? 3.0 really expands the scope of, of the current guidelines. It comes down to accessibility, is not static, it's dynamic and it's never really done Um, it's always changing and we need good sources of information in our tool belts this is this can be attending a a session like this one going to an online meeting subscribing to newsletters do your research and find credible sources of information and you know take the time and add them to your weekly uh, reading list or your professional development time i put two up here on the slides Um, from the W3C because they are the first source of information usually they have a blog um, w3.org slash blog and then they have a twitter feed which is uh, twitter.com slash w3c but whatever method of content delivery you prefer just make sure that you curate them and dedicate yourself to seeking out that new information I mentioned user agents. You know what are these? You know this is assistive technology. Sometimes we'll see it as AT for short. It's really any uh, device or uh, software or equipment that helps people work around challenges that they have in learning and communicating and really functioning on the web. I don't go over all of them, um, but I do go over some that we uh, that are more common. They're screen readers. These are used to listen to the content of a web page or asset. They convert text to speech, but we need to keep in mind that screen readers can be used alongside um, with visuals on the web page for folks with cognitive challenges as well, not just for our blind or uh, uh, low vision folks. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I wear these glasses. And it doesn't matter, but it seems like websites are getting smaller and smaller fonts. And I'm always having to hit that um, command plus plus on my Mac. And screen magnification software is is true to its name. It's used to enlarge the content on the screen. You know, it's easier for us to read, especially if we live with partial sight impairment. It's used by people uh, to enlarge the content. But screen magnifiers also have text-to-speech functionality as well. And then here are some other common ones. Um, We have eye tracking, you know, uh, sometimes it's called eye gaze. It's uh, um, a system that monitors eye movement to control mouse pointer. And um, sometimes they uh, use blinking. Uh, They detect blinking to initiate mouse clicks. There's accelerators. Um, This is software and functionality that help reduce the effort needed to type or click. You might be familiar with sticky keys. You know this goes along the lines of keyboard customization. Uh, this includes, you know, changing the mapping of the key, assigning shortcut keys to functions, setting filters. You know, um, all of these things to support single-handed typing. Uh, pop-up and animation blockers. Um, I find pop-ups and animations very distracting, and annoying, but there's lots of web browser plugins or other software tools that stop pop-up windows, um, which can sometimes lead to redirection, which can complicate a user's experience. And they also have options to stop, pause, or hide animations. Refreshable braille displays. These are mechanical terminals that display a line of braille characters by raising and lowering the dots dynamically reading assistance. Um, This is sort of a generic term for any software that changes the presentation of content and provides other functionality to make it readable. This can be customizing the font type or the sizing or uh, the spacing. Uh, It can be scanning the text for complex words and phrases and maybe providing tool tips for glossaries or dictionaries. Hiding Less relevant parts of the content, you know, to make a page less distractible, you know, perhaps it hides the sidebars or the headers or the footers. And then um, reading assistants can read the content out loud and highlight the text as it's being read. And then page maps is the last one I have listed. It displays a small image of the entire web page with a visual indicator that highlights the portion of the web page that's currently being viewed. Some folks may use more than one um, user agent. Um, Some use two. Others a combination depending on the situation. So I'm going to roll the dice here and kind of play around with some different scenarios. Because remember, just because it works with a screen reader, well, what if you have a screen reader and a person who only navigates with the keyboard? You have to think of all of these possibilities. So I'm at home and I'm babysitting and the little one runs off with my mouse. So I only have the keyboard. But I'm also trying to buy concert tickets and there's a time limit and not all of the content is accessible with the keyboard. I lose my place in line because I can't get to some of the pop-ups or the or the content, you know, so it means I'm not seeing the Grateful Dead this summer. Uh, Perhaps I'm on my cell phone. Uh, I need websites to be responsive to mobile and, not, and also not limit screen orientation, you know, from portrait to um, landscape. I need there to be only one scroll bar. I can't navigate side to side and vertically at the same time. And I'm on the train because I live in California. I want to get to San Francisco, but the train is packed. You know, it's standing room only, which doesn't really work in, in these days because I still want to keep my distance. Um, I want to watch my favorite TV show, but I can't reach the headphones in my backpack. So I really want to utilize captioning to fully understand what's happening on the screen. Um, Perhaps it's winter time and you know, it's San Francisco. So it's probably raining. If I'm going to work, I've had too much coffee and I'm a little bit shaky and I drop my phone. The touch target needs to be large enough for me to activate without the crack getting in the way. And then also, you know, just kind of think about when you're on a desktop. I might have CSS in the images disabled and I'm navigating by the keyboard. I don't want, I want to make sure I don't miss out on any important visuals that are important to context and content. You know, this is about you know, providing alternative text to images. So let's look at the lifecycle of a, of a website. And what this is, is really the typical website build that I've experienced in the past. So some of you might have a different experience, but this is, you know, I've worked for a few agencies and this is sort of, you know, our generic life cycle. We draw up wireframes and we do research while getting stakeholder input, you know, um, then the research gets passed on to the user experience folks and the design team. Then the developers get involved, and the QA person might be adding um, placeholder content because it's really hard to test whether or not your site functions if you don't have content. And then there's the stakeholder handoff, and the site is sort of, you know, kind of popped out on the other side, leaving the content creators and the editors to finish off the site before launch. Now, I want to talk about roles and responsibilities because all of those tasks that I talked about in the lifecycle have people who have specific assigned roles to perform the task. You know, there's the designers, the front-end developers, the back-end developers, the QA people, even the product owners and the stakeholders and the editors. We need to make sure that we're giving all of our roles accessibility responsibilities, not just our QA or, you know, quote unquote accessibility people. We want cross-functional teams. A couple of years ago at Axcon, I watched Glenda Sims um, from Deque give a presentation and she talked about how two thirds of the issues that Deque finds on websites could have been resolved in the d- design phase. Um, so when we think back to that last slide, the design phase is kind of at the beginning, you know, um, those air like if we want to extrapolate a little bit more, the errors are moved through all of these levels where they could have been resolved in that second phase. If the accessibility discussion starts with the wireframes and the developers and the designers can weigh in at the same time, then there's not a whole lot to fix before state uh, the handoff to our stakeholders. We need to empower our designers and our people doing the research to have accessibility in mind from the start. You know, fixing an issue in production is so much more complicated than in the design phase. And then we also wanna think about our editors and our content creators. These are fabulous folks. They weave like, they just, they weave pictures into words and they do such great storytelling. And we wanna empower our content authors and set them up for success. The way I think about it is if we train our developers and our designers on accessibility then why not you know train our content creators as well remember our editors are in the website every day long after the designers and developers are finished so we want to make sure that everyone is really involved in that accessibility process okay so I want to imagine the life cycle of a build and start with your wireframes in your designs, but audit them for accessibility. Um, So here's that linear format again. Let's inject testing at the wireframes and the research level. And then we test our designs as they go from sketch to user experience for usability. And then we test and audit the development phase while placeholder content is added. And then we test for accessibility at all the phases of development or better yet, we really bake accessibility into our websites from the beginning. It really alleviates some of those headaches later on. So let's move out of that linear because we know that linear doesn't work in most cases. And we talk about maybe going into circular. You know, this process is a form of continuous web improvement, and we can apply this to all of our digital assets. We need to remember that accessibility is never done. We wanna make sure that we strategize and develop in a way that allows flexible changes as the guidelines evolve. And I'm gonna say that again. Develop in a style that allows flexible changes as guidelines evolve because we know that guidelines change over time. We want to make sure that our solutions have impact. You know that we create and implement best practices, and you know do it iteratively. You know across each phase of the website. So we want to learn and iterate. We want to understand what works through the cycle and what doesn't. Have retrospectives with the whole team. Do you have accessibility reviews and audits? You know as part of your um, part of your flow. You know. Continuous website improvement can be challenging at first, and I'm going to use a Volkswagen uh, euphemism uh, here or uh, metaphor. Um, It's like going uphill in your 1956, there's 36 horsepower Volkswagen bug. It's really hard to get going, but once you get that flywheel spinning, you gain traction and momentum. So designing for accessibility. Design and content creation can be really similar, but they happen at much different times of the website's life. Design is before launch. Content can happen at all the phases. And I just want to go over a few design aspects. Uh, we'll concentrate on content next. But for optimal readability, we want to really utilize visual and semantic space. Uh, space is an underutilized vis. Uh, visual design tool that helps us identify groups of related content and really delineate unrelated content we want to provide the right amount of space between lines of text you know most uh, for most content to really work the inner line spacing is applied automatically in our uh, in our CSS uh, we want to use clean topography we really want to avoid changing the type pa- typeface um, specified by the website, we want to make sure that it kind of looks the same from page to page. Not everyone thinks about this next one, but um, when we write in all capital letters, uh, readability is really reduced when we use all caps because all of the words now have a uniform rectangular shape, meaning that readers can't identify words by their shape. We don't want to underline text. We really want to reserve this for identifying links. Um, And just a side note, I'm very passionate about links being underlined. Um, Craigslist is the most perfectly themed website. And one of the reasons I love it is all of the links are underlined. I know on that page, if something's underlined, it's a link. Um, we don't want to use. Um, we don't want to like center justify our text. We want to left align our text because that consistent left margin makes reading easier. Um, left over from our uh, type typewriter days, um, we don't want to put two spaces after a period. When we're talking about assets on the web, we just use one space. Period. <laughs> And then we want to support text resizing. You know, how does your content respond when someone does, uh, you know, command plus plus. So moving into accessible content, you know, make sure that we, um, we take a lot of time to make sure our code is accessible. But what happens over time when content is added? This is one of those moving targets, especially when a team of people is involved who might have access to a WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get, or an editor that has all kinds of bells and whistles. But fortunately, it is something that is more straightforward to remedy, and accessible content can be a really easy win when you go to remediate a website. Um, And remember, content is entered at every step of the lifecycle. So I'm going to go into a, a few kind of reminders about our content that helps um, helps with a sex, a, a accessibility. You want to know your audience, you know. Um, put information in a logical order, you know, important details first, fit your language to your audience and context, you know, really stick to predetermined reading levels. The guideline for general content, I think, is the ninth grade reading level in the United States. It's even lower um, in the UK. Um, But there's exceptions to this, you know, say you're writing a college paper, you have a white paper, you know, but that comes down to knowing your audience and determining what reading level fits them the best. Alternative text, I have a picture of a broken down Volkswagen bug up here and the alternative text says, a Volkswagen Beetle abandoned in a grassy field. The purpose of alternative text is to describe images to those who can't see them. This is not only for folks who uh, use screen readers, but for people who have images turned off in their browser. Um, It could be because they live rurally and have slow internet. Um, Maybe the images take too long to load or sometimes people just want to, you know, uh, it's too distracting for images. So always provide alternative text. Familiar language. this is different than knowing your audience, but um, well, maybe it's the same, I don't know. But we want to make sure that we use familiar words and familiar combinations of words, um, especially now that we live more in a global world. Not everyone understands all of our catchphrases and sayings, you know? Um, Writers should strive to communicate with their readers, um, not impress them with showy words. So choose language that your users can relate to. Avoid jargon and buzzwords. These are unlikely to be clear language. Often they're too general and vague and can lead to uh, misinterpretation or even empty or meaningless text for some folks. And then we wanna be consistent with the words that we use. If you refer to the same person, or the same object several times in your text, it's polite to call them by the same name as you go. Symbols and rare characters and certain types of punctuations can be problematic for some folks. You know, sometimes the ampersand or even the percentage might be um, unfamiliar to people, so be careful when using those symbols. Be careful when using acronyms and abbreviations and numerums. Um, Provide a key the first time it's introduced. So um, if you have a sentence like, um, when working with the National Health Institute, I would then put NHS in parentheses. And then I can use NHS for the rest of the article. Um, And for accessibility purposes, I mentioned the word numerum. And not everyone knows what that is. A numerum. is where you have the first and the last letter. And all of the letters in between have been omitted, but replaced with a numeric value of how many letters are missing. So accessibility is a numerum, A11Y. And then when we talk about familiar language, think of search value or uh, search engine optimization, SEO ranking, the words that you use in your copy should reflect the words that people use in the search engines. Language that's difficult to read and understand is a potential barrier for all users, but particularly people with cognitive um, disabilities or low reading levels, or people for whom the content is maybe an unknown topic or it's written in an unfamiliar language. People who have disabilities uh, that affect the ability to access and read content won't be held back by unnecessarily complex language when we use plain language. Again, it benefits uh, English as a second language. You know, If your content is meant to appeal to that international audience, plain language is even more um, crucial. In general, we wanna keep words, sentences, and paragraphs short. So think about your sentence and paragraph length. Okay, and we're coming close to the end, but I do wanna share some testing tools. And if you you follow that link that I gave at the beginning in the chat, um, there's links to all of these tools in the resources. Um, But there's some testing tools. How How do we test for some of this and how often? That really depends on how often your site is updated. I recommend at least every six months, if your content um, is being loaded continually, maybe maybe more often. So we have screen readers. You know, a screen reader is an essential piece of software for blind or visually impaired people. Uh, there are open source free tools that you can use. Um, there's very expensive tools that you can purchase too, but there are some free that come with certain operating systems. Wave is a browser extension with magical one-click functionality. It's a suite of evaluation tools that help authors make web content more accessible. It doesn't catch all of them, but it catches a good number of errors. There's the Axe browser extension, AXE, uh, the accessibility engine. It's a compact JavaScript library that's open source and available on GitHub. And then also, I know in Chrome, if you go into your uh, um, inspector, um, you if you have a, the extension loaded, it, it's down there, and you it's one one click functionality. Lighthouse is another browser extension, open source automated tool for improving the quality of your website. Now, all of these were not the screen reader, but most of these are auto. Uh, Automated tools and I want to clarify that automated tools are a good start, but they only catch what they're programmed to catch. So programmically, they only catch 25 to 30 percent of the errors. And I know that like the DEQ tools are evolving over time and that number's getting bigger, but we want to always remember to um, use our manual testing as well. Um, It leads me into the keyboard testing. You know, users can access and move between links, buttons, forms, and other controls with like the tab or other keystrokes. Websites should not require a mouse. You know, Um, an example would be one of those annoying pop-ups that come up. You should be able to get to that as it pops up and close it using your keyboard only. You shouldn't have to tab through the whole page to close that pop-up. There's the WebAIM Contrast Checker. It's a free website that helps determine the accuracy and clarity of the text and the contrast of the visual elements. You can use an eyedropper tool and find the color code and drop it into a a UI. This is my favorite one, and no, they don't pay me to say this, but the Site Improve Accessibility Checker, they have a paid for service, but they also have a browser extension. It highlights warnings and errors But it also tells you what to manually test. And I like that about this tool um, because it gives you the errors straight up, but then reminds you of like, hey, do your images have alt text? There's 20 images on your site. I love this tool. The checklist um, from the Ally project uses the WCAG as a reference point. You know, it's a checklist that you can download and kind of go through as you audit your site. Zoom. Um, you want to make sure that your website can zoom to 200% without losing some of your content, you know, screen, um, you want to make sure that the text and the graphics on your screen, um, uh, you know, either go responsive or, you know, make sure that you don't have those two scroll bars. CMS, CSS and HTML validation. These are important characteristics of an accessible website. You know, make sure that you have um, no syntax issues. And the last tool I talk about is the readability test by WebFX. It takes the text on your web page and gives a score for um, the most used readability indicators. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at womenwhocode. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash womenwhocode. Thanks again for listening and remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.